I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. Hey, guys. Welcome back. If you are here from last week's episode, today is kind of a part two to that. We discussed last week if intuitive eating could be used for weight loss, and we kind of prefaced today's episode, which is all about obesity as a disease and the obesity epidemic. Is that really a thing? We're going to get into it. We do want to start with some trigger warnings and disclaimers because obviously today is going to be a lot about weight. So if that's going to be triggering for you, by all means, please skip today's episode. We also want to make it very clear that we ourselves have not struggled with obesity. And I guess kind of a part two to this disclaimer is if you're listening and not watching us on YouTube, we're going to kind of use obesity in quotes. Um, We'll kind of explain it more later, but um, obesity tends to be a pretty stigmatizing and also hard to define word. And so I myself know if I'm ever like writing it out, like on like an Instagram post or like in a blog, I usually put it in quotes. Um, but anyway, back to my original disclaimer, Emily and I have not struggled with this ourselves. And so we are approaching this from a medical professional standpoint and sharing stories from those that we've worked with who have, that are in larger bodies and have dealt with maybe weight stigma and things like that. So we, meaning Emily and I should not be at the center of this obesity as a disease debate. And we encourage you to listen to those who are in larger bodies to hear their stories and their side of things. Again, we're just here today to talk about our side as medical professionals, but not personal experience. Exactly that. So let's just jump into it because Hannah and I have talked about how this is going to be a really long episode. So grab a snack, grab (laughs) A little beverage, a little treat, because we're going to be here for a little bit and all good things to talk about. So right off the bat, let's just kind of talk about the big elephant in the room. Like where's this come from? Yeah. Yes. There's a lot, there's a lot of debate amongst healthcare professionals if obesity is considered a disease In 1997, the World Health Organization, WHO, declared obesity a major public health problem and a global epidemic. So it's been now like over like 20 years, but way back then they kind of publicly announced that. And then later, the National Institute of Health and at the NIH declared obesity disease a year later in 1998. And in 2008, the American Obesity Society declared it a disease as well, which is very, it has the name in it. So I'm like, that's right. It's like all the thing first. there. So yeah. <laughs> that's the whole thing there. And then also the American Medical Association also kind of had a part in this in 2013, where they were going against the recommendations of their own committee about what classified obesity. So there's like a lot of different organizations kind of putting out this announcement about whether it's a disease and then there's like conflicting data about it right into it. But we'll get into all of that in a little bit. Specifically with AMA, the American Medical Association, though, 
it was because the biggest controversy for why kind of their guidelines weren't lining up is because it was so difficult to define and measure. But AMA did it to benefit the drug companies and surgeons kind of, especially in that weight loss side, like throwback to our Ozempic episode. Was it that one where we talked about, no, where was the one we talked about? Probably the childhood obesity or BMI. (laughs) We talked about this so much. Yeah. Where the criteria was changed a little bit so more individuals would be categorized as overweight or obese, quote unquote, according to BMI. But there was, there's questions about whether or not people in larger bodies were consulted in these recommendations or talked to. Um, how these classifications would affect them. There was kind of like with all of these guidelines being put forward and all these like public statements of it being a disease, there was also a lot. Of, I don't know if there was a lot of question. There's a lot of question of it now, especially it was like who was being consulted. Was it just a room of people in thin bodies or right. was it like, who was it part of that conversation? Right. So like basically the AMA was like, yes, obesity is definitely a disease, even though like the committee voted against that. They were like, we can't really measure obesity as a disease. Like all we've got is BMI to measure that. We know BMI really sucks. But like the AMA was like, no, we're still going to do this because the drug companies and surgeons are going to benefit greatly from that. So that's the biggest issue right off the bat with AMA classifying obesity as a disease. I want to also get into the infamous obesity maps. You've definitely seen them. We saw them constantly when we were, when we were in our dietetics program. Um, we were told that like, okay, I'll kind of explain it actually, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Basically they show the prevalence of obesity, which again is based on BMI and how it has progressed in each state. It's like a map of the United States and the different colors show the increasing rates, like blue is like not severe then green or gets a little more severe than orange, yellow, whatever. And then it's like the red States are just like, everyone there is obese. Everyone's going to die of obesity, yada, yada, yada. So we were showing these maps a lot and it is used frequently to demonstrate like how the obesity epidemic is a thing and how obesity is an outbreak is becoming very popular. Half the country is obese or maybe more than that. I don't even know what the rates are. Um, and these maps, when you see them, they are very jarring. Like it might seem pretty impressive that they're making a very grand point of how obesity definitely is an epidemic, but they're very misleading. So first of all, they use state borders as the boundaries for the shifting colors. So like Alabama has its own data and Mississippi has its own data. Indiana has its own data. But this overstates the extent of obesity because the size of a state is not relative to the size of the population. So like, for example, California and Montana are very similar in land size, but California has about 39 million people and Montana has like just over a million. So they're not accurately showing like the rates of obesity, like for the size of that state. Also, when you look at the size, or excuse me, when we look at the states where obesity rates increase the most, it is indicative of places that have larger rural, rural and lower income populations. So there's a lot of reasons why that might be true, that weights are increasing in those certain areas, but it's not because those people are lazy or I don't even know what excuses they might use these days, but 
again, the bottom line is that these maps are very misleading and they don't they don't really paint a whole picture. No, it's I feel like the population is one of the biggest ones, honestly. It's just like population saturation is oftentimes why maps at any time, like with you just indicate a color, it's like, let's think about how many people actually live in this state. You can't just right. throw that up there. Be like, look at they're these have the same rates when they're there's 38 million people differentiating between the two state population sizes. And then the shifts and where people are moving to and what they have going on. It's not as simple as just this state has a problem. Right. Like, of this. course, <laughs> of course, California is going to have less obesity prevalence than Montana when it has 39 times the people there. Yeah. The ratio is a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. So let's since we've kind of gotten some of the background down to like all the organizations that have been involved with this and especially the obesity maps, because I feel like that's one of the biggest things people always reference whenever it comes to the epidemic quote and how the people's bodies are changing. Let's actually talk about like what obesity is or what maybe it's, it's classified in as in the medical field. So the World Health Organization defined it as someone who is overweight or overweight in obesity are defined as abnormal or excessive fat accumulation that presents a risk to health. Nowhere do they specify what is abnormal, what is excessive, or what is health. It's kind of this very vague statement. There's no specific like subjective criteria to what is abnormal or what is excessive. Like that's a very, I said subjective. I should have said objective. Objective, yeah. That's a very, what they are doing is it's subjective. It should be objective. But like just saying those statements is, there's a lot of gray area and a lot of up for interpretation. It doesn't really mean anything. And then also saying a risk to health doesn't specify like, so physical health, mental health, emotional health. There's a lot of different aspects of health, like spiritual health as well. What is a risk to health? I was going to say, what's the risk even mean? Like, yeah, it's very vague and not very helpful. But that's kind of the most standard definition out there of what obesity is. Something else people would often think of is BMI. Highly recommend listening to our BMI episode. We Spoiler alert, we're not the biggest fan of BMI. <laughs> Go listen to that episode for us to like dive into the history of it, specifically why we aren't the biggest fans. But for obesity, specifically with BMI, what people think of is the three different classes. There's like the BMI of 30 to 34.9 is class one. 30 BMI 35 to 39.9 is class two and everything above 40 is class three. Whereas with BMI, it's a ratio of your height to your weight. And there are these different classes and that is also what quote defines obesity. Also not a great and, and measure because it's, just listen to the BMI episode. Well, I know. after this, we'll tag it in the show notes so you can listen to it there. But 
it's also not great between the very vague definition and these numerical ranges it's not off to a great start not off to a great start and also like how do we define disease too so I pulled the Oxford Dictionary definition and the Merriam-Webster definition, and I'll kind of read those off. We can kind of do a little uh, debriefing about it, but right off the bat, I feel like it's not going to really match. When you hear disease, you don't think of someone's body size, or maybe you do if you work in obesity medicine, but anyway, the Oxford dish... <laughs> the Oxford dish. My tongue isn't working. <laughs> The Oxford Dictionary defines disease as a disorder of structure or function in a human, animal, or plant, especially one that produces specific symptoms or that affects a specific location and is not simply a direct result of physical injury. Okay. So with that, first of all, specific symptoms, we already talked about how it's so vague, like I would not say that abnormal or excessive fat accumulation is a specific symptom. So no <laughs> on yeah. that one. Um, a specific location. Eh. There were some people who will say like abdominal adiposity or like abdominal obesity or things like that kind of classifying like where the body fat is on a person's body and some will use like a waist measurement to kind of help define or not define, um, to help classify obesity, but it's technically not, there aren't any specific guidelines that say like, if you have this waist circumference, you are obese. It's always based on BMI. So I would say that doesn't really apply either. And then of course the injury thing will disregard, but I would say with the Oxford dictionary recommendation or definition, it doesn't really fit with that. Especially the, like also the disorder of structure or function. It would the argument right. be like no self-control, like a <laughs> disorder of your mind. Right. Right. No. Well, speaking of that, the, the Merriam Webster dictionary, I cannot say these words. The Merriam-Webster dictionary definition says a similar thing. It says that a disease is an illness that affects a person, animal, or plant, a condition that prevents the body or mind from working normally. But once again, like what is normal? What's an illness? Like, it's just so hard to say that's definitely a thing. It's very vague. And then when you like try to utilize like the obesity criteria, that's also very vague. So you can't really define it. There's a lot of holes in the logic that yeah. obesity is a disease. And I don't know if I put this in the outline at all for this, but something I hear a lot, I actually think I heard this first on like the maintenance phase podcast episode on this topic, but, and I, I've seen it ever since, like everywhere you look on like different obesity medicine websites, they'll say that they are classifying obesity as a disease to reduce the stigma. Like that's their reasoning for making this a disease because it helps people who are in larger bodies and classified as obese feel as though it's not their fault that they're obese, which great, but like you are still telling them their body is wrong and telling them they should be changing it. So I don't think that's reducing stigma if you are telling them that they need to change their entire body shape 
Have you seen that? No, like, I've example, <laughs> I'm thinking of specifically, we talked about this in the Ozempic episode where we discussed how like Weight Watchers has like partnered with Sequence to be able to sell Ozempic through that telehealth platform and on Sequence's mm-hmm. website, let's see if I can find it now and kind of quote it verbatim. Sequence says that they are all about reducing weight stigma, but like they're a weight loss company. <laughs> the math is not mathing. Like what's the example that I heard on, oh my gosh, maintenance phase. It was something that was like, it was about like gay people. And it was like, we're trying to reduce the stigma around like gay people, but also you shouldn't be gay (laughs) or something like that. They said it way better than I am, but it's the same idea where like, you're taking this already stigmatized group and telling them there's something that's wrong with them. That, that makes sense. I wish I could think of what they said on that podcast. So they can find it on sequence. It's probably on the about us page. Oh, here we go. Their mission. Oh my gosh. So this is on sequence.com. They say we're on a mission to help people feel confident. They can control their weight while feeling good about how it fits into their lifestyle. We provide a virtual clinic that's free of weight bias and stigma, but also let us help you change your body. That is obviously wrong by our definition. They don't say that. That's me. I said that (laughs) we're, we're saying what's in between the lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's so once a again, little bit counterintuitive. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole intuitive eating thing where we said last week, like people will co-op the intuitive eating language and say, we're going to, this is how I lost 30 pounds with intuitive eating. Like it's the same thing here. Like they are, they know that weight stigma and fat activism and all of that is being more talked about. And so they are trying to throw those words in to make it seem like they're doing it the right way. LOL. (laughs) It's, it's nice when you're able to identify it, but when you're on the receiving side of it and you aren't thinking that they would try to deceive you like that, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in the marketing. Unfortunately, they're very good at marketing. They always are. So you're so right. Like if I had seen that and I was trying to lose weight, but I also knew that regular methods were telling me my body was wrong and I was being stigmatized like, Oh, cool. Finally a program that's going to work for me. Maybe it will. Everyone's path of life is totally different, but that's a red flag when a weight loss company or obesity medicine doctor, which is who runs this thing. You've likely seen him on Instagram. It's, I don't know how to say his name, Dr. Spencer something. Um, he's like the medical director of sequence. But anyway, when they say we're going to treat obesity as a disease without weight bias or weight stigma, we're going to change your body because it's wrong, but without stigma though, no stigma there. Yeah. It's not great. Impossible to do. <laughs> so that was kind of a side note. I may have put it on the outline somewhere, but I want to make sure I said that earlier before I forgot because yeah. it pissed me right off. Yes. So let's talk about who benefits from classifying obesity as a disease. Eric Oliver wrote a book called Fat Politics, which actually does a really good job of breaking down the politics behind obesity. I have not read this book. I know Hannah has read it with her book club. I have a note Um, about it. I will say it does a really good job of breaking down like the politics of obesity. Like Emily had just said, 
Um, but he does get a little bit into nutrition that I don't agree with. So don't go past like chapter four or five <laughs> because he like demonizes carbs and things like that. So don't love that. But he does. It's it's kind of like like one of the members in my book club had said that it reminds him of like reading like a college like transcript. It's like a really boring read. I'm not going to lie. But it does, again, do a good job of kind of explaining what we're about to explain here. Like, where did obesity as a disease kind of come from and like, how do they benefit from it? So maybe check it out from a library and so you can read part of it. But yeah, when it gets to the nutrition Rex part, maybe deter, (laughs) close the covers and hit return. Yeah. So first and foremost, one of the biggest beneficiaries obesity being a disease are the healthcare systems. And when more people are taking weight loss medications or getting bariatric surgery, the healthcare systems are making more money. And the more people that they can encap and like encompass in these overweight and obesity categories, the more they can market these products to them. And it's important to remember that oftentimes these methods don't work in the long term. It's very, it's very common for people to gain the weight back. So especially when it's a medical professional promoting it, it's tough to challenge them. Honestly, like you don't want to challenge your doctor or especially if they're saying whoever. You're doing it to reduce the stigma, but whatever, I'm past that. <laughs> But yes, you're right. Yes. Like you think like they should know what they're talking about. Like they know what they're doing and they, they likely aren't trying to do harm, but we it's, are trained in such a weight centric way that of course yes. that's their, their goal to help you with is treat this disease of obesity. Yes. Especially like it goes back into like the education beyond it, where when you are young and influential as we are old now and <laughs> old age and mid twenties. <laughs> Prefrontal cortex has fully developed, so we are capable of thinking properly or thinking a little bit more critically. I'm a different person than I was before pre-prefrontal cortex formation. (laughs) Yes, but it goes beyond that. And even if like they have good intentions or maybe they haven't, or if they've just been surrounded by this for so long, the world of medicine is changing, which is good. Um, and where there's a lot more people being more weight inclusive, especially medical professionals, which is good, but there's still a lot of work to be done. So it's tough. It's tough being in healthcare as being in healthcare, but also it's tough when you don't feel as supported when you confide in your healthcare professionals. Right. I'll say from my experience as a medical professional working as an outpatient dietitian, If someone has a BMI over 30, we bill for that. Like if you have come to see me as your dietitian and you looked at your, we call it my chart, which is like your, like your records on your phone, on the app, you will see that I had to like diagnose you and bill you for obesity. If your BMI is over 30, which whenever I do it, I'm like, ugh, like vomiting as I put in the charge. And then of course the hospital I work at gets a ton of money back for that because it's a big epidemic whatever. So yeah, 
we, that's how they benefit is your body size. If it fits in the obesity categories can be billed for and the hospital gets money for that. Yes. Insurance in the hospitals and healthcare. (laughs) Yeah. This is our next part too. Similarly, the pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. companies also benefit. So of course, simply put, they just get to sell more medications for weight loss. Like we talked about this in the Ozempic episode that weight loss meds are not a new thing, but they continue to grow and new ones are always being formulated. And the reason they are able to do this is they get a ton of funding because obesity is classified as a disease. If obesity wasn't a disease and it was not as big of a problem as it's made out to be, they would not get as much funding to make these new medications to treat this disease. So again, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies make, I mean, big Big bucks, big bucks, very big bucks. (laughs) I feel like you already alluded to this one as well as like the weight science researcher, the ones like we're pushing out the research articles, funding those obesity studies and the effects of obesity on cardiovascular risk or cancer risk or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, the more prevalence there is in obesity in the population, the more money there's going to be to fund studies. Which, okay. My next note on this, I think this is all just so wacky and backwards because according to these obesity maps and all of these obesity associations like AMA and what was it like the obesity American association, whatever. Yeah. Like according to all of these different people and organizations, obesity rates are rapidly increasing yet our approach to fix it has not changed. Like we're still telling people to eat less, move more, take this medication, get bariatric surgery, but like the obesity epidemic is just getting worse. Like more and more people, according to their definitions are obese. So like, why do we keep doing the same approach? Oh, wait, to make money. Yeah. Yeah. It's been going on long enough that if the researchers were like finding changes in to accommodate this or whatnot, something would have changed, but it's all the exact same thing for like probably at least a century. I don't know what they were doing like pre 1900. (laughs) I don't really know either. Or if it was really documented. That's what I was going to say. I don't know how well they were documenting that or it was storing that information or why you're even talking about it, but it's been been going on for quite a while and it's all essentially the same. Yeah. And we're going to cover our proposition or our proposal for what the solution should be. So we'll get to our chat on weight centric care in a minute here, but again, like something has to change, like clearly the weight centric eat less, move more method is not working. So why do we keep doing that? Hmm. If money was not involved. Right. Right. If we (laughs) stopped that, the diet industry would just like take a beating, which is great. Oh yeah. But that would be just billions of dollars in the economy that just plummet. Like 
probably a trillions. If you think about like how many people are actually like, I bet like insurance would get affected somehow. Pharmaceuticals would get affected. Healthcare systems like obesity medicine doctors would be obliterated. Yeah. That'd be crazy. Yeah. So all in all, there's a lot of people that benefit (laughs) from pushing the obesity epidemic narrative. So let's talk about specific, let's get into the science and let's talk about correlation versus causation. That's like one of our (laughs) favorite phases, phrases on here. And like, let's talk about the difference of these. So last week we talked about what if I need to lose weight for health reasons, and we're going to get into it right now. This is what you've been waiting for. Welcome back. (laughs) We're glad you're here. So despite what healthcare professionals and the popular media is telling you, there's no current research that states that having a higher weight or body fat percentage causes, underlining causing that word, put causes in bold, in italics, make it multiple fonts bigger, causes disease like heart disease, cancer, diabetes. Those tend to be like the big three that people like to talk about. Oh, yeah. There's potentially a correlation, underlining correlation, where some people in larger bodies may have these diseases, but the diseases are not caused by body size. Mm -hmm. A common example is smoking cigarettes can cause yellow teeth and smoking cigarettes can also cause lung cancer. Just because, and I'll, you may have yellow teeth and also might have lung cancer, but it does not mean that the yellow teeth caused your lung cancer. Does that, does that example make sense? Like, yes. Yes. Like there are, uh, I can't think of words. Finn just barked and threw me off. Yes. (laughs) So smoking cigarettes causes yellow teeth. It also causes lung cancer. And so when you get lung cancer, if it's due to smoking, you also have yellow teeth, but it does not mean the yellow teeth is what caused the lung cancer. It was the smoking. So to take it back to obesity and body size, let's see, let's say genetics is what caused you to get type two diabetes. You also happen to be in a larger body. So people might say that because of your body size, that is what caused your diabetes, but it was actually because your dad has it. Your great grandma has it. Your great, great aunt has diabetes. So you were likely going to get it no matter what body size you had. So all these things are correlated to each other, but the cause was not directly the body size or body fat percentage or any of that. Yeah. Genetics plays such a huge part and it's an invisible factor, which I feel like that's why it gets neglected so much is because people don't see it. So they don't think about it, but also like environmental factors or environmental causes plays a huge part. Like what we eat, physical activity levels. Weight stigma can also play a huge part in this as well. I feel like I can speak 
most strongly in like the renal health field where the two biggest causes of or the two most common causes of kidney disease are diabetes and hypertension. And I've had multiple conversations with people whenever they inevitably ask me about what I do. And then I am not smart enough to uh, lie uh, about uh, it. Uh. <laughs> I like to throw renal in front of it so they don't start asking me about what the best way to lose weight is. So I'm always like, oh. uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but I've had conversations with people where they're like, oh, so like, oh, where they hear I work with like people with end state with end stage renal disease. And they're like, oh, like you must do a lot of weight loss because a lot of them are like overweight and that like caught like affected their kidney function. And I'm like, uh, 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 no, uh. <laughs> actually, the two most common causes are diabetes and hypertension. And the large majority of so like why it led to kidney failure is because one, they didn't have accessible like healthcare or they didn't have accessible like nutrition. They were just kind of eating whatever they could afford or genetics. I've had so many patients and I'm not going to say like diabetes and hi- there are other causes besides diabetes and hypertension where they've had like other very like interesting diagnoses that have led to kidney failure and they were like some of the most health focused people I've ever known to the point to a fault we'll say like to a fault they're a little bit too involved in their nutrition and physical activity and they still develop kidney failure yes and I'm like no it is not their weight that led to this kidney failure and obviously I don't go through all that explanation because one I'm saving my energy for like Protect your peace, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it's just goes to show that there's so much more that a disease than body weight. Something that like one is not very well defined. Like obesity is obviously not defined. Very two, the causation and correlation component play a huge role in this. There there are too many factors. And also the lack of research is, it's, it's crazy for how many researchers are behind it. There's a lot of correlation, <laughs> right? And not- well, because they can't show that it causes it because it doesn't cause it in every case. Like it's impossible to prove. And that's why it hasn't been proved, proven, yeah. not proved. Wow, I sound like a real scientist using bad grammar. That's why we are not in academia. <laughs> we are in the thick of it. Yeah. The, Plus, I get angry in the field. and my words get all jumbled. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, there isn't the causation. There isn't. It's not there. No. And I know that we're going <laughs> to, I am also speaking as a research. There's no causation. <laughs> it's not there. It's not there. Causation, not there. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> I promise Fine. we are. What's the word? I don't even, I can't think of words either. Eloquent? I, like in. No, like we can be trusted. Uh, now I can. We are to be trusted is what I'm trying to we say. Credible. Credible. Yes. I promise we're not frauds. 
even though we can't use basic words or apparently describe scientific phenomenons and figures and such. It's been a little bit. (laughs) But the point is correlation does not equal causation. And there is no research that shows that body weight causes a chronic condition. Let's, let's share our piece. (laughs) So yeah, we've talked about how, how obesity is defined, who benefits from that, what the research is saying or not saying. So what are our thoughts on all that now that we've laid the base? So right off the bat, we've already talked about this, but there is no reliable way to diagnose obesity. BMI is incredibly flawed. We hate it. Right. Like listen to our episode. If you (laughs) can we beat it enough, can we beat a dead record enough (laughs) inside joke for Ted buds only? Um, yeah, like with other conditions or other diseases, like you think of like type two diabetes is diagnosed with a one C you think of hypertension diagnosed with a blood pressure reading, like other diseases have a definite way of diagnosing it. Whereas obesity is just BMI. And like we've said, and we've said in the entire episode of BMI that that's not a reliable measurement of health. And it hasn't changed as well. Like, and we said that that wasn't even like meant to be used to discuss body fatness. Like it was not created for that purpose yet. Here we are using it for that purpose. Yeah. Okay. Seems already silly. Said, yeah. Seems silly. We've also said this too. We've kind of already jumped the gun a little bit today as we typically <laughs> do. Um, but a, another argument that we have against classifying obesity as a disease is that higher BMI or fat mass does not always lead to poor health outcomes. A lot of population-based studies have found that those in the overweight BMI category of 25 to 30 actually have the lowest risk of mortality and chronic disease. And then of course you get a little bit higher into the obesity categories and the risk does increase, but it's still lower than those who are in the underweight category. So actually the ones who have the highest mortality risk is those in the underweight category, which often is very shocking to a lot of people. Goes against everything they're pushing out there. Yeah. Yeah. So we've also seen in a lot of studies too, that many aspects of health can improve as a result of making healthy choices, or we like to say behavior changes and what's on your bulletin board somewhere, your weight is not a behavior. Um, but making behavior changes like moving more, sleeping better, managing stress, These are what is going to improve your health, even if weight doesn't change. So if someone starts improving their health by eating more vegetables and sleeping better, and they're doing joyful movement, but their weight doesn't budge a single pound, or maybe they even gain weight doing that, their health likely still improved from those behavior changes, even though weight didn't move and they still are classified as overweight or obese. Oh, you are frozen. Cool. looks so creepy it's like she's staring into my soul oh (laughs) I was trying to get a picture of that because you were like making the creepiest scary face it was like you were staring into my soul (laughs) that was the longest freeze ever oh my gosh I I freeze too 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. It just kicked me out. It kicked you out? Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I'm back. Well, it probably got all that I said because I'm the one recording, but I was talking about but I had a very scary face. I, I was trying to get a picture so I could show you later. But yeah, you were like, like it was so scary. You should leave it in. Oh, wait, you'll see it because if you edit this, you'll see it. When I'll it's edit it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you can just continue where you're at. I'll just continue. Okay. So our third argument against classifying obesity as a disease. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking about the things. So okay scary. okay I'm good I'm good I don't know how we're okay. gonna edit this but in case we don't edit this part out where we're giggling um there was a very scary moment where our computers froze and Emily was making a very scary face we should like try to like include a screenshot in the video version of this well somehow we do like a reel or a tiktok <laughs> it could just be you talking yeah I was like having a conversation and you were just like it was so scary <laughs> we'll leave it in oh it was very scary the beauty of long long distance recording I know we would not have this problem if we were in the same room we recorded but you know we do what we can we're doing the best we can okay back to serious matters our third two fingers for third apparently (laughs) this is where we're at If you listen to audio, I'm sorry because there's a lot of visuals going on that you miss out on. Honestly, go to YouTube. We're we're way funnier yes. on YouTube. You get the you get the hand gestures and the, the faces. The theatrics. Yeah, the theatrics yes. is a way to put it. Okay. Let's try this for the third time. The third time. <laughs> okay. Oh, Labeling man. a body. This is actually a very serious matter, so I shouldn't be giggling. Okay. <laughs> Labeling a body as diseased is like insanely stigmatizing and insulting. And we do know that weight stigma is related to poor health outcomes, actually a higher likely relation there than the body weight being related to poor outcomes. We as dietitians have heard countless stories of people going to their doctor for like a cough or ear pain, something totally unrelated. And they left there with like a handout on like a low FODMAP diet or a 1200 calorie diet or whatever, without any explanation of how or why or what it just sucks. I, we should have a guest on that could explain this maybe more from their point of view. Cause like we said, we can only really talk about this from our professional standpoint, but again, we've heard so many stories of this happening and it just like, it really sucks. It's very frustrating when you go in for something and like, we can't even imagine. It's, it's frustrating when you know something's going on and it's not related right. to your weight. But oftentimes we've heard so many, too many stories where people get, come in for something and go out being told they need to lose weight. Yeah. We're going to diet too many stories so that and it a lot of it also like is in the responsibility of like the healthcare professionals where we need to be having these discussions about weight stigma less okay okay this is actually the part I did include it in the outline so this is what I was saying earlier about how 
a lot of professionals will state that calling obesity a disease is actually less stigmatizing because it takes away blaming it on like a lack of willpower, laziness, whatever. And like to what I said earlier, that's fine. Like that's actually, you're, you're halfway there. Like you're almost getting to the point where you get this, <laughs> but like, you're still like pathologizing in someone's like, entire body. Yeah, exactly. You're basically saying like, you are a walking disease. Like your body is a disease. That's not reducing stigma in any way. Like you're saying the solution for fat stigma to go away is for fat people to stop being fat. That's what it was on the maintenance, maintenance phase podcast. I said the solution for, um, how'd they say it? Like the solution for like homophobia to like go away is for those who are gay to stop being gay. Nope the the balls yeah. in your court <laughs> the balls in your court homophobes like you're the ones who got to figure your shit out and like yeah you fat phobic doctors like you're the ones who got to figure it out not those who are just like walking in a body that's different than yours yeah it's not on them to change your mentality no and the the weight stigma is still gonna be there even if they lose weight so yeah that's yeah so yeah, that's going to take a lot of systematic change. <laughs> yeah, a little, little deeper than this podcast, but at least we're talking about it. <laughs> yes. So I completely forgot what are we even talking about? Are we, um, are our talking reasons, about I see. Our reasons I see, why yes. we hate <laughs> is a disease. I had to scroll for a little bit. I'm like, we've been talking about this for a while. I'm like, what? what is this category? <laughs> What's the category? I know. Um, I know. <laughs> our last argument is pursuing intentional weight loss can be harmful. I feel like this is another one of our very common phrases on this podcast, but there's no good evidence or valid evidence that the majority of people can lose weight and keep it off in the long term using diet and exercise. Oftentimes people gain the weight back or more after two years, which leads to weight cycling where you gain a bunch of weight from either stopping whatever extreme diet or exercise regimen you're following. And then you flip flop to the other way where you're going back to that extreme and you lose the weight or you start a new diet or whatever it is, which weight cycling plays a huge part in risk for chronic conditions that right. No one likes to talk about that. Like your body doesn't like change. We talk about this quite often and if you go up and down like 20, 30, 40 pounds, that's a lot of change for your body to endure from like a metabolism standpoint, especially. And no one in the diet industry talks about weight cycling and its risk. They no. just talk about here's how you can lose weight. And then if it doesn't work for you, try something else. Right. Like weight but, watchers, just like keep counting points forever. So you don't gain the weight back. Oh, wait, you can't do that. Cause it's not realistic. Mm, that's your mm -hmm. fault. Not our fault. No. Try again. I, Try the harder. Amount, <laughs> the amount I wish I, like almost every single person I have worked with, like that talks about like their diet history always says like, Oh, it, it worked so well. Like I lost so much weight on this diet, but then they inevitably 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 talk yeah. about how they gained it all right back like 
I have rarely seen a person who has an extensive dieting history that has like saying and praised all the glories of how those diets worked for them. Like, and I have patients who have like done all the diets. Like I've had patients who have done 20, 30 different diets and they're still coming to see me because none of those things worked, which sucks. I'm glad they're talking to me and we can finally figure it out. But like, it really sucks. They had to go through all that. Yeah. So yeah, bottom Ugh. line, intentional weight loss is usually not, not going to be it. Mm-hmm. And we said this last week too, but that doesn't mean that Emily and I are anti-weight loss. Like, first of all, we're also not anti-dieter. So if you have the desire to lose weight, totally understandable. That's the world we live in. Um, but also we talked about last week too, how if you ditch the diets, and you kind of get out of this weight cycling yo-yo thing, you might end up losing weight as you get towards your set point weight. And I've been seeing on social media sometimes too, like actually I've gotten DMS. People will say like, Oh, I've like noticed that I'm losing weight as I adopt intuitive eating. And I'm feeling really guilty about that. Like, I feel like I'm like dieting Mm -hmm. and I, I totally get where that comes from because we talk so much about how weight loss isn't the solution but it does not mean that weight loss is always a bad thing either. It's, it's just nuance guys. Like there's always going to be a yes, but to like whatever we have to say here. So yeah. anyway, if we said this last week too, but if you are losing weight as you are adopting intuitive eating, that could happen, but it's not promised to happen. The whole idea is just that you're approaching that set point weight, which is yeah. your body's best happy weight that it wants to be at. Yeah. We also have an episode on set point theory that we will tag in the show notes, but it's a lot about like the mentality behind it and the intention, not specifically what's happening. Outcome. Yeah, exactly. It's about the why. So let's talk about what changes we propose for this weight centric care world we live in. And Maybe one day we can propose this and changes will be made, but we're putting our two cents in here now. So if this ever comes up, mark our words, (laughs) you can reference this episode be like, yes, Hannah and Emily mentioned this right here. And this is good. (laughs) And maybe it'll change also like the the world changes all the time. Maybe we'll think of something better. We'll, we'll keep you updated then. (laughs) Yeah. You'll be the first to know when we have a revolutionary idea. Yes. So biggest change number one is shifting from a weight-centric approach to a weight-inclusive approach. The main idea behind weight-inclusive is that health is not defined by someone's weight and people of all sizes should receive the same level and type of care when it comes to medical, the medical field. Case in point, if someone in a thinner body came in for a cough and they were given antibiotics someone in a larger body had the exact same symptoms maybe like obviously no one's gonna have the same history but like exact same symptoms they should be treated similarly and not given weight loss advice because they wouldn't probably they don't wouldn't give it to the thinner person right so that weight stigma they 
they see the weight and it's pushed on it. So providing the same level of care is one of the biggest things with weight includes just removing that weight aspect and not defining your health. Health equals weight, removing that is exactly. one of the biggest things. And this doesn't mean that weight doesn't have an impact on health. It absolutely has an impact on mental health <laughs> because, because of weight stigma. Like, you know, weight is a very weight stigmatized world. And it can have an impact on physical health, but we have to look at the bigger picture. It's not just focusing on this one piece of data and utilizing that to decide how we treat someone. And this doesn't mean that we also can't discuss weight. This is something that very much comes down to patient's choice. We need to look at if they have any history of an eating disorder or disordered eating. It's very important to be transparent with your patient about this and know how comfortable they are discussing weight because you don't want to just commonly spring it upon them and trigger them into a binge episode or mm. restriction because that would be costing all the time. Money. It's insane. Like yeah. I hear from patients all the time. Their doctor will just like tell them to lose weight or like I'll read their notes and they went in something totally unrelated. And of course they gave them weight loss advice. Or my favorite is this is kind of a diss on me, which is not about me, but when it says like, recommend seeing a nutritionist or a dietitian with the letter C, they spell it wrong. I'm like, they already are seeing someone that you just didn't like look in their note to even know if that was the case. You just assume that because they're fat, that there's no way they're seeing a dietitian or working on their health. It's very, it's so insulting. So insulting for the patient, especially uh, it's just frustrating from my point of view to see that it's like, hello, <laughs> we exist. We're helping. Also, this person is also helping themselves. Like they're trying to make changes. You just don't care to ask them about it. All you want to say is here's your medication, get out of here. And also you're making a lot of assumptions based on what their body is presenting as. Yeah. It's an easy way out to just say lose weight. So it's an easy and lazy way out. Oh yeah. In my humble opinion <laughs> of being in healthcare of two years. Mm. <laughs> it feels like it's been decades, but I'm tired. I'm, I'm aged. I'm, I'm so tired. <laughs> we need to get out. <laughs> so tired. Oh, we're just fine. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> We're fighting the good fight for you guys. We're trying to make changes from the inside. We're maybe we're not. We're just fine. It's power, like but. it's like a David and Goliath kind of thing. Like just little dietitians trying to fight against you know loads of doctors who hate fat people. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. So anyway. let's continue talking about weight inclusive care but. because that's our big proposition. So. We talked about how the big aspect is like not just utilizing weight as the main driving factor for how we're making our decisions, but weight inclusive care is also good or has a benefit because it acknowledges potential harm that can come from pursuing intentional weight loss. This is never talked about. Anytime I try bringing up that telling a patient that they need to lose weight could be very triggering for them. It could cause a lot of harm mentally, especially Doctors are like, oh, uh, what? You're telling me that telling a patient that they need to be thinner is like not helping them. <laughs> My whole point is I'm helping them. They kind of like gaslight me to thinking that their way is the right way kind of thing. I'm like, 
let's see the other side of this where like maybe telling them that their body is a problem is actually not super helpful. It goes back to the whole thing I said earlier about how they're trying to like reduce stigma, but they're only making it worse. Like they truly cannot see what they're doing is wrong. And I say they like very generally, of course, like there's plenty of doctors who are not like that, but more times than not, that's what I see. Yeah. It's oftentimes the healthcare kind of system of how it's built up and those that follow it and don't challenge it. Yeah. But that's that's a good point too, to just keep making this drown on for longer. Like no one's ever brought it up to them. Like they were trained in medical school to help people who are in larger bodies, make their bodies smaller. And no one's told them otherwise. And the, the pushback or feedback I often get too, when I bring this up to people is, well, the research shows that obesity is bad. I'm like, first of all, is it really good research? Second of all, there's also research showing that intentional weight loss can be harmful and the method that you are doing things is wrong. Like there's two sides to this coin here and you are only seeing one side. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Once again, I am tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's fine. We're fine. But let's talk about the last thing we'll say about weight inclusive care That's and we just really keep beating this dead record <laughs> you know they do call us the upbeat dietitians for a reason yes yeah we're actually it's actually not about us being upbeat it's about us beating points <laughs> so you're sick of them it took oh, us 95 see. episodes to finally to finally explain our our episode or our yeah talk it took us 95 episodes to explain where the name comes from but that's the truth behind the upbeat. Surprise. This is, we are not exposed. very upbeat. <laughs> this is, this is our truth. <laughs> this is our truth. But there are improvement, improvements linked to incorporating weight inclusive care. And we'll list these off. So some of them include like incorporating more healthful behavior, increased movement and nutritious food choices, uh, improvements in blood pressure, cholesterol levels, self-esteem and mood, body image, weight stability, eating behaviors, especially like reduction in disordered eating and engagement levels with like lower dropout rates, which people are always like, or people are not always like, because no one, t- no one thinks about this. People are not always like that. <laughs> just us. <laughs> We're not just us. <laughs> it goes so much further past just like surface level health, whatever that means. When we say like you're getting healthier from weight loss, it's there's a lot more involved. And when you include or incorporate more of that weight inclusive care, it can lead to a lot of different benefits from all aspects of health. Because everything I just listed off is not just physical health, it's also emotional and mental health. And also all of those things definitely could not correlate in some cases with weight loss and weight-centric care. Like- self-esteem and mood that could absolutely not improve with weight loss. Body image could absolutely not improve weight stability, eating behaviors, (laughs) disordered eating. Like these things have been linked to weight inclusive care, but they absolutely, they likely have been linked in some way too to weight centric care, but they could also be the opposite and not happening. That's what I usually see is they are not happening with the weight centric care approach. 
So all in all, weight inclusive care is evidence-based and also ethical. Have you no seen- No one talks about ethics. <laughs> have you seen the TikTok of- the sister and the brother who do the Kardashian um, impersonations. Yes. It is not professional and it is not ethical. <laughs> At weight center care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love them. It is. Yes. He has like a really good voice. A really very good. good. Kardashian They're very voice. good at what they do. Yeah. They really are. They're also like very young. I think they're like in high school. Like really? Wow, I think so. What are we doing with our lives? I know we should just we be should have been doing, doing Kardashian. Kardashian. Yeah, <laughs> we've really messed up somewhere along the line. I think it was around age eighteen or so. We really messed it all up. <laughs> I think yeah. Looking back, <laughs> that's where we might make some changes, but that's that's okay. We're here now. Took the road less traveled. And and it did not pay off. Developed a <laughs> I'm we gotta be optimistic because what else do we have? This is our <laughs> therapy session. <laughs> We're like spiraling. I think we always do this. We I have, have like a career crisis. You guys get to hear about this. They always do. Whenever we have like hard, deep topics, that's basically the opposite of what we were taught in dietetics. We're like, hmm, what have we done? This was a mistake. <laughs> it's fine. We're fine. It's like, you know, the dog meme where everything's on fire. I feel that every day. I think it might be like, the meme that I really I'm fine. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like being in a weight centric healthcare field. Unless you are a weight centric provider, then it's great. You're thriving. Like, you're right. It's like a red carpet everywhere you go. Like, everything's just ready for you and made for you. But the rest of us, who don't abide by that approach we are struggling because we are like it's david and goliath once again we are just like fighting this big monster and he's kicking our ass (laughs) (laughs) yeah so let's wrap this up let's wrap you guys (laughs) here for a little bit of time so on both sides of the obesity is a disease argument most healthcare professionals can agree that the human body is complex and body's shape and size is influenced by a multitude of factors. But no matter what side you are on, we have to consider who is impacted when we say obesity is a disease. Because it's easy to just label this, but we have to look into... It's a little, it's not as surface level as a little ratio that we call BMI. (laughs) And we want to reiterate that we are not the ones that should be in the center of this debate. People in larger bodies should be the one at the center of this debate. Listen to the fat activists, listen to the people driving the fat liberation movement, listen to their stories and do not just take our word for it. We have seen it from a medical professional standpoint. We have not lived these experiences. So we lack that component to this very complex issue. So make sure you go follow them on social media. There are articles about it. You can easily 
easily find articles where people talk about their testimonials with like fat phobic providers. Do your, I say research loosely. (laughs) (laughs) Go search. We'll say do your searching. (laughs) Um, But listen to what they have to say because it's very important that their voices are heard and they're the ones being listened to and driving this conversation. So, and also our last thought is, this is a question. I don't know if it's a question for the government or (laughs) who controls healthcare systems. Because I know unless some like government officials listening to this and they have a lot of power. (laughs) And they also care a lot about weight issues, which yes, who is that one person in government that cares about that that much? Anyway, whoever's listening, this relates to listen close. So what if instead of who or WHO or AMA or NHI debating obesity is a disease instead of that if what it's a disease if they spent this time fighting the weight stigma all those resources all that time towards this weight stigma that has is very prevalent and it's very obvious it's prevalent yeah yet it's very neglected how would this impact our healthcare system? Would it improve it? It can't get worse. God forbid we improve our healthcare system. It, can it get worse? I don't know. It probably could. I don't want to know what that's like, though. It probably could. They could probably kick dietitians out. They could probably silence I mean, us we're this close. Like, we're a dying field, let's be honest. We're <laughs> we not going to be here much longer. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. But let's let's think about where we're putting our energy. These giant organizations with tens of billions of dollars of research and resources. What would happen? Why don't we do this? I know the why. Don't answer that. <laughs> don't answer that. <laughs> you government official, you don't even think about answering that. Yeah. But think about what a world we live in. Hmm. And that's Hmm. what we'll leave you with in our, to have your own existential crisis about. (laughs) Join us. We do this every day. (laughs) So that's all we have to talk about obesity as a disease. We will include our fun and upbeat bonus question in. Oh yeah. That's why we're upbeat segment. (laughs) (laughs) And the Tud, no, the beat deets. But become a Tud Bud and you'll have access to so many more resources. We're a little bit more fun and more lighthearted in that. But we hope that you took something away from today. Obesity as a disease is just such a complicated conversation to have. And the impact it's had on, I'm going to say our economy, because when it comes down to it, Money is always the driving factor in most corporate America decisions. Um, It's not as simple as eat less, exercise more, Mm -hmm. shame fat people. Or say that you're not shaming them, but also (laughs) their bodies are the problem. (laughs) 
Hmm. <laughs> Let's just dig a little deeper. Think about critical thought. It all comes down to that every time. Just use some critical thought. Yes, please. So thank you so much for listening to, I, to the, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. We appreciate you sticking it through and listening to us rant about this for a very long time. Let us know, I don't know, any of your thoughts about this. We always Mm -hmm. love hearing, well, I don't know if I love hearing when people experience bat phobia in the (sighs) healthcare field, but if you need a vent or you need to just air it out, let us, you're free to DM us. If you want to like comment and then share your story with other people, you're also welcome to as well. There's a lot of solidarity in the weight inclusive space. I will note. Yes. If we can't make a whole lot of systemic change, at least we can support each other. (laughs) Yes. And stress about it together. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week, hopefully for a much more lighthearted topic. (laughs) Yes. Cool. All right. Bye guys. Bye guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.